You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Let them go. Chapter 8 Afterlife The world felt horribly distorted. Rebecca tried to hold on to Amanda, but her sister struggled away, anguish peeling forth in a cascade of sound. Cleo held her hands to her mouth, eyes wide and staring, trying to comprehend what she had just seen. Dawson sat, his complexion pallid beside the fireplace. Rebecca, now standing alone, could hear her breath and her heart thumping in her chest, but nothing more. She went to the front windows, terrified to peer out of them in case she saw its face up close. Stealing herself to open the curtains a crack, Rebecca beheld the moonlit patch of garden. There was a stain upon the ground, but Rafe had been dragged from the spot she had last seen him and it took her some time to locate his motionless hand, just at the edge where the light bled into the darkness. Dead, of his killer, there was no sign. This was too much to be asked to cope with. Rebecca realized now how tired she was. The past few days had been painful enough, but this had tipped the scales. She turned back to the room where Amanda continued to scream and could find nothing to say and no course of action until Dawson roared at her. Get that shrieking child out of this room and put her to bed! Rebecca darted forward, grabbing Amanda's shoulders and half pushed, half dragged her up the stairs. There was a drunken wooziness to her sister's demeanour, a frightening disconnect, until she recalled the laudanum. Rebecca did not know if the opiate would constitute a blessing right now or a curse. But as she wrestled the young woman into the master bedroom and firmly laid her upon the four-poster bed, she was somewhat grateful for the sluggishness that it inflicted, because Amanda was fighting her. They sat, wordlessly, for a long while, as Amanda's racked sobs redoubled, then became cries, then whimpers, and finally moans. Anything could be happening downstairs. But what else could Rebecca do right now? This was the person who needed her most. The bandage on Amanda's arm had slipped somewhat, exposing the wound. Rebecca felt a slight relief when she looked closely. It was not as bad as she had suspected. Casting her mind back, she tried to remember if it had appeared worse earlier because of the shock, or if her mind had been playing tricks but right now it was mottled with dried blood and appeared to have healed a little. The thing outside. I know what it is now, said Amanda, quite taking Rebecca by surprise. What? Her sister's voice was low and resonant, husky from crying. It's something ancient. Something that's been in mankind's shadow since the Garden of Eden. 
It's not a serpent. No. But it was there at our first downfall, and we've been secretly terrified of it ever since. She locked eyes with Rebecca. It follows us, my darling. It watches our contemptible behavior and waits. It's a reckoning. The answer to our question of what happens when we abandon reason. Response was frozen in Rebecca's throat. Amanda was gazing at her, unnervingly, with an intensity of conviction. All around the world, we've given names to these monsters. There are vampires in the graveyards of Budapest. The Talas in the charnel grounds of India. Al Ghul haunt the Arabian Peninsula. And the Algonquin tribes of the Americas speak of the Wendigo coming in the depths of winter. But this beast at her threshold has been spoken of in England by another name. Amanda pulled herself half upright and spoke as though captive of a dream. The Black Dog, who foretells death in the family. It definitely wasn't a dog, said Rebecca, in a manner she hoped was soothing. Maybe not on the outside. But I name him Barguest for everything he brings, and everything he has taken from us, and everything he will take. She wept again until a kind of deadened calm came over her. Do you suppose that when Rafe gets to heaven, her father and mother will be there to meet him? Her voice was languid and strange. Rebecca blinked. I dare say he will have a whole host of dear family and compatriots waiting to beckon him home. She had started out with an enforced optimistic tone, but could not prevent her voice from cracking. Father will have just arrived, and Mother will have flowers in her hair, like she did on the day they married. Somebody spoke her name. It was a voice she had not heard in years. Rebecca glanced at Amanda, but her sister had not spoken these words, and was softly singing to herself. Oh, soldiers, It was coming from beyond the bedroom. Immediately, Rebecca was alert and ready to run. With your musket, fife and drum. Oh no, sweet maid, I cannot marry thee. Help. For I have no shirt to put on. Rebecca shook her head and rubbed drowsiness from her eyelids, exhaling deeply ending in a wrenching heave. She will look after him. There was a long silence, but the outer voice did not come again. I don't want her to look after him. Rebecca's words came out staggered and broken, crushed through a sluice gate of acrimony. He was not there for her when she needed him. He does not deserve to be cared for. How can you say such a thing? He spent... He spent his entire life in pursuit of prosperity for his family. 
and declined to be part of it. He worked so hard. I worked so hard. He disappeared. And the only evidential proof of his continued existence was some money that he sent. And now he's dead. She was shouting. He was a curse of a man. He, he made us who we are. He made you who you are. I am me because of what I had to build into his absence. At this, Amanda roared in frustration. The screen redoubled upon itself as she arched her back, taking giant lungfuls to power the expulsion. Rebecca sprang to her feet, her anger swiftly transitioning into fear as her sister's seeming fit of petulance mutated into something wild and unmanageable. Dawson burst into the room. What in God's name is going on? He demanded, catching immediate sight of Amanda twisting under the sheets. I don't know. She's having some kind of seizure. Leave us be. Dawson's eyes narrowed, and he snatched up the bottle of laudanum from the dresser. If you aren't going to contain her hysteria, then I shall. With that, he barged past Rebecca's insistently blocking hand and climbed quickly up onto the bed, bearing down upon Amanda, who immediately attempted to push him off her. He held her down as Cleo entered the room. Get off my niece at once. She needs a heavier dose. Dawson unscrewed the bottle and grabbed a spoon from the nightstand. Black droplets from his unsteady hand splattered down onto Amanda's dress. He pinned her struggling form and glugged a spoonful out, attempting to shovel it into her gasping mouth. It spilled across the pillows and he shifted his weight to allow her slightly more freedom of movement. Sit up, girl! Amanda's head came up and she sank her teeth into his cheek. <coughs> Immediately there was more blood and screaming as Dawson lurched backwards and away from her. The look in Amanda's eyes, almost as though she were amused, magnified Rebecca and Cleo's concern. But there was something new there for the two of them now. Something that had crept in unacknowledged over the course of the evening. It was horror. Dawson staggered from the room, clutching his face. Rebecca moved in and retrieved the fallen bottle which had landed upon the carpet beside the bed and relinquished much of its contents. Amanda. Amanda, my darling. She said, her voice trembling as Cleo clutched at her shoulders. Could you take a little medicine? In response, Amanda reached her hand delicately across and beckoned with two graceful fingers. Rebecca complied, and Amanda raised the bottle to her lips, draining a measure into her mouth and grimacing. Honey, please. Rebecca, with some hesitancy, obliged. And Amanda immediately dropped the sticky spoon onto the sheets, opened up the jar, discarded the lid, and delved her fingers inside, scooping some of the contents onto her tongue. A little of the gold liquid escaped her lips, mingling with the crimson blood obtained from Dawson. Hmm. What were we talking about? We... we were going to let you have a little rest. Hmm. Amanda replied, absently sucking the remainder of the honey from her finger. She sank back down into the covers, still holding the pot, gazing dreamily at the roof of the four-poster bed. As they closed the door, she began singing to herself again. So off she went to her grandfather's chest and she brought him a shirt of the very, very best. Outside in the hallway, Rebecca and her aunt stared at one another, both looking for answers and finding none. She, um... She seemed not to recognise what she'd done. It, it could... It could be a bad reaction to the laudanum. 
I, I take it from my rheumatism, and it often leaves me not knowing where I am for a moment or two. Do you behave like that? Her aunt shook her head slowly. Then something is very wrong with my sister. I hope we're overreacting because of how terrible this day has been. But... But Rafe is gone. Along with his plan to venture out and find a doctor. I'm afraid we're stuck waiting for the coach tomorrow afternoon. We should take us straight to my physician, I promise. Until that time. Cleo trailed off and retrieved something from her pinafore. It was a small ring of keys. She selected a long silver one and glanced at Rebecca. The younger woman nodded and Cleo locked the master bedroom. Downstairs, Dawson had removed his jacket and was furiously and clumsily applying iodine to the gash in his cheek. It had left yellow stains dribbling down to his shirt collar, mixing with the red that had already gathered. What's wrong with her? He demanded. In fact, don't answer. I'll tell you what's wrong with her. She's deluded herself about this rabies business. And now, upon losing her husband, she's lost her mind too. He was pumping his hand at Rebecca and Cleo, punctuating each word with a stab of his finger. If you are, from this point on, monumentally accommodating to me, and generously amend my fee, I will not suggest she is permanently incarcerated to Bedlam. I am sorry that she bit you, sir. But I'm sure you can understand the strain and stress she's going through. It's worse for her than for all of us. He was white-hot with anger, and for the first time his powerful frame began to worry Rebecca. She caught a flash of how hard he had shoved her sister down, how forceful and merciless his movements had been as he enacted what he wished. She imagined those hands around Amanda's throat, or her own, and shivered. She must try her very level best to keep him calm and mitigate his sense of being threatened. Bandage me, commanded Dawson, gesturing to the ugly, torn wound in his face. Without a word or an expression of unwillingness, Rebecca did as she was told, though Dawson winced and scowled fiercely at her the whole time. <clears throat> she eventually managed to affix some gauze to the area with adhesive tape. I've assembled some things we can defend ourselves with, said Cleo, gesturing to the coffee table she had lined with implements as Rebecca had performed her field dressing. There was a ball-peen hammer, a carving knife, a meat cleaver, a wood-chopping hatchet, and the poker from the fire. Dawson silently selected the hammer. Brandy, Mr. Dawson? Cleo asked. He nodded, and she measured him out a generous glassful. He sipped it and winced again, as though any movement of his cheek felt akin to a fresh bee sting. You have been listening to the New Century Multiverse, Let Them Go, Episode 8, Afterlife. Written, narrated and directed by Alexander Shaw. Rebecca Wolverton, performed by Sharon Shaw. Amanda Culver, performed by Theo Lee. Burwell Dawson, performed by Matt Ramsey. Cleo Spencer, performed by Loretta Saylor. 
Quinn's song and Vanishing, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. The production of New Century is funded by the kind, beautiful people who support us on Patreon. Much love to our $15 special sponsors. Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Rune Lord Firiano, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finn Barnicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. The title of the book Amanda is writing is A Phantom of Midwinter Solstice. It has taken her four years, and the manuscript is in her bag. <laughs>